I tell you what, remain standing, grab your Bible real quick. Let me give you something to go home on. Everybody remain standing, grab your Bible. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. I think everybody in the house needs to be on the right side of Calvary. Amen? Amen. Amen. There'll, there'll be no getting into heaven. There'll be no getting into heaven without salvation, without knowing Christ. Amen? Ecclesiastes chapter number 2. I want to, I want to share with you a thought that, that God gave me for another uh, uh, venue that I was preaching. I was preaching at a men's conference. And, and God, God put this on my heart and, and, and shared that. And I said, man, I've got to share this with our people. And I, I've talked about the, the beginning part of this, the, the intro to this a little bit before with King Solomon. But I, I went into more detail with the particular uh, conference that I was preaching at. And I want to share that with you today. Because uh, there are so many people that are running around living a life that's not fulfilled living a life of unsatisfaction, not getting out of life what they need to get out of. It's like, it's like having a hundred horse motor and using ten horses of it. Are you all with me? That's what life is. There's a lot of people doing life that way, and it doesn't need to be that way. We're going to read about Solomon, uh, who at a time in his life was not real good. I mean, it was not a good time in his life. We know Solomon is the, 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 the king of wisdom. Uh, God gave him a supernatural wisdom because of a request he made, a prayer request that he, you know, God said, what, what do you want? You give me a request, you give me a, 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 an ask and I will give it to you. And Solomon said, man, I need wisdom. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for fortune. He didn't ask for fame. All of the things most people would ask for, he asked for wisdom. And God was so excited about that, that, that particular request. He said, I tell you what. I'm going to give you that wisdom. I'm going to give you a supernatural wisdom, but I'm going to give you everything else that you did not ask for because he was pleased with the request. So here we have a man. Here we have a man who has, has money. Money is no object. He is, he is very, very wealthy. He's very, very powerful. He is very, very mighty. He has wisdom that is supernaturally given to him by God, but he went astray. This man who was, who was a follower of God, because of women in his life, he had a 1,000 women, 700 wives, 300 concubines. The Bible says he loved many strange women. I don't know about that, but that's not wise. Say amen. I told him in the early service, that's 999 too many right there. Because of these women in his life, they begin to pull him away from the one true God. They came from idolatrous backgrounds. He had marriages with foreign women from other, making alliances with other kings and that type of thing. It was all a political deal. But because of that, they pulled his heart away from God. Solomon went through a backslidden state in his life, a time that he was away from God. And this is what we are reading. Ecclesiastes is the record of Solomon's time outside of the will of God. He is, he is trying to find something without God. He made a choice. I tell you what I'm going to do, he said. I'm going to find happiness without God. You're going to hear a phrase all through Ecclesiastes, under the sun, under the heaven, which means here on earth, without God. I'm going to find joy without God. I'm going to find peace without God. I'm going to find fulfillment without God. I'm going to find satisfaction without God. We don't need God. We can find it here on this earth. And Ecclesiastes is the record of that journey. And let's see what he says. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 1. If you found your spot, say amen. I said in my heart, go to now. 
I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. That's a key word that you find throughout Ecclesiastes, vanity. It means empty. It means empty. Say it with me. It means means empty. I said of laughter, it is mad. Of mirth, what doeth it? I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet acquainting my heart with wisdom, and to lay hold on folly, till I might see what is that good for the sons of men, which they should do under the heaven, or in other words, down here on earth, all the days of their life. I made me great works. I builded me houses. I planted me vineyards. I, I made me gardens and orchards, and I planted trees of them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. And I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold and the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got me men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great. And increased more than any that were before me in Jerusalem. In other words, he's basically saying, I had it all. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Even in his backslidden state, God allowed him to retain supernatural wisdom. He says, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then... I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity. It was empty. Everything that I'd done, everything that I'd worked for, everything that I'd sought after, everything that I tried to do to find fulfillment left me empty. It says there was no profit under the sun. And here's here's an important verse. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. Here's the question. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath been done already? In other words, anybody that comes after me is not going to do anything but what I've already done. I've come to a conclusion in this situation. All is vanity all is empty let's pray father thank you lord for your blessings and your mercy thank you for your goodness thank you for the 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 spirit that's in this place touch everyone here touch those that are seeking touch those that are searching touch those that are hungry touch those that are seeking for fulfillment in life i pray your perfect will be done in jesus name we pray amen amen you may be seated here we find the king Here we find the king who was very wealthy. Here we find the king who was very wise, supernaturally wise, who had it all. Now think about this. God allowed one man in the history of mankind, God allowed and permitted one man in the history of mankind to have everything, to have it all to have every single thing this world has to offer, to offer fulfillment and satisfaction. God allowed one man to have it all. Solomon said, if I saw it, I took it. If there was to do, I did it. If there was to have, I had it. If there was to buy, I bought it. I built things. I had things. 
I did not hold back nothing from my eyes. If I wanted it, I got it. Wine, women, and song. I experienced everything this world has to offer, and it left me empty. Now, why am I saying all this? The world and the devil will tell you, if you just had, you would be happy. If you just had her for a wife, you'd be happy. If you just had him for a husband, you'd be happy. If you just had that house or if you just had that car. And we have so much consumerism in our country today and in the world today. The devil's telling you, oh, happiness is found right on the other side of the fence. Happiness is found in stuff. Happiness is found in possession. And they say, the man that has everything says, what would make you happy? Just a little more. And it will not be found. Solomon said, I had it all. I bought it all. I saw it all. I mean, nothing could be withheld from me. And it left me wanting more. It left me empty. It left me unsatisfied. Unsatisfied. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing in the 60s? 60s was a crazy time. I'm talking about a crazy time. It was whatever and in it, anything goes. Anything goes in the city. Free love, free sex, free drugs, rock and roll, the whole thing. If you're not with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. Just do whatever you want to do. Hey, no rules. Let's take all the, the boundaries away. Let's take all the limitations away. Let's just have it all that way. And that's basically the way it was. And do you know in 1965, uh, the Rolling Stones had a number one hit, their first number one hit, and it was called I Can't Get No. How do y'all know that? Y'all were just as corrupt as the first service. They knew it too. I can't get no satisfaction. In a time when everybody did whatever they wanted to do, when they had it their way, when they lived the life that they wanted to live and just did whatever, they said, I can't get no satisfaction. Number one hit that year, 1965. Mick Jagger was interviewed and he said he admitted this, that this song was his view of the world, his view of the world, his frustration with everything. At that time, he probably could get any woman he wanted. He probably had all the money he wanted. He had all the fame that he wanted, but he was frustrated. He was frustrated. He was aggravated because he had it everything that he could see and want, but he was frustrated with the world because he could not find satisfaction. Well, I tell you what, according to Solomon in Ecclesiastes, Solomon sung that song before Mick Jagger did. I have everything but I still won't. I have everything, but I'm still unsatisfied. I have everything, but there's still a longing in my heart for something, something's missing. If you live for pleasure alone, if you live for pleasure alone, enjoyment will decrease unless the intensity of the pleasure increases. Then you reach a point of diminishing returns when there is little or no enjoyment at all, only bondage. For example... The more that people drink, and you can put whatever here, the more that people drink, the less enjoyment they get out of it. This means they must have more drinks or stronger drinks in order to have pleasure. The sad result is desire without satisfaction. In other words, the craving is still there, but no way to fulfill it. 
No matter how much you take in, no matter how much you use, no matter what you do, you still have a craving, and there's no fulfillment of that desire. That's bondage. Listen, you put anything you want there. Alcohol, drugs, gambling, sex, money, fame, any other pursuit, and the principle will hold true. When pleasure alone is the center of life, the result will ultimately be disappointment and emptiness. You say, man, that's terrible. That's just what we have to look forward to. No, 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 no. You don't understand. You don't understand. Your creator, your creator did not have that in mind. You see, your creator created a world, and he created a garden, and he put Adam and Eve in that garden. And when he put Adam and Eve in that garden, he put the trees in there that was good for food. Why? You need food to survive. You have to have food to eat. Say amen. Don't look at me that way, people. I'll I see who I'm preaching to. How many of y'all like food? How many of y'all like food too much like me? Okay, all right. Food is fuel. It's fuel for the body to work. So God put something in there for everybody to survive, right? I'm going somewhere with this. He put something there so they could sustain life, so they could survive, so they could make it. But it also says something else is very important that we need to get. Not only did he put trees in there that was good for food, but the next statement says this. He put trees in there that were pleasant to the eye. He put the roses in there. He put the azaleas in there. He put the lilies in there. He put all of the things that were pleasant to the eye. He didn't want man just to survive. He wanted man to enjoy his existence here on this earth. Jesus said when he came in John 10, 10, the thief cometh but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that ye might have life and have it more abundantly. He said in John 15, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. What am I saying? I'm saying God wants you to have a fulfilled and satisfied life. But it's not going to be found here on this earth. It's not going to be found in relationships. It's not going to be found in stuff. It's not going to be found in popularity. It's not going to be found when everybody knows your name. It's not going to be found in that stuff. What did Solomon find out? In chapter number 2, in chapter number 2, verse number 24, it says this. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This, watch this, this also I saw that it was from the hand of God. What is, what, is, what is from the hand of God? The ability to enjoy your labor. Now think about that. Think about that. There are people with billions of dollars and can't even enjoy it. Money can buy a bed, but it can't buy sleep. Money can buy a house, but it can't buy a home. Money can buy friends. Mm-hmm. But it came by love. Money can't buy friends. Get some and see how many calls you. Until it runs out. Hello. What's the point? He says it's at the hand of God. Fulfillment and satisfaction is not in stuff. It's at the hand of God. It won't be found in toys. It'll be found at the hand of God. It won't be found in marriage. It's not your spouse. It's not your friends. It's not your bank account. It's going to be found at the hand 
of God. And all God's people say it. Watch this. Let me give you three things real quick. You want to be satisfied? How many of y'all want to be satisfied? You want to be fulfilled? Come on, be happy. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. At least lie. Come on, get your hands up. All right. I want to be happy. I want to have a fulfilled marriage. I want, to, I want to have a fulfilled ministry. I want to have a fulfilled life. I want to be able to enjoy stuff. So how's that happen? Number one, the only way you're going to have a truly fulfilled life is you must be saved. You must be saved. It starts with the author of life. Look what it says. <clears throat> the Bible says, The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 12, verse number 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore with, come on, therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. What happens? When a person gets saved, God puts something on the inside of them that provides fulfillment, that provides satisfaction, that provides what they need to have what they're looking for. Somebody say amen. It uses the illustration of a well. A well, listen, taking out of a Why do you go to a well? Because you want to be refreshed. Why do people go to a well? Because they're thirsty. They're longing for something. They're looking for something. At this, this reminds me so much of the story of the woman at the well. How many of y'all remember the story? Jesus is sitting at the well. He is sitting there, and he's refreshing himself. He's wearied with his journey. The disciples have gone into the town to get some food, and, and here this woman comes. She comes in the heat of the day. And most of the time, and I, I've heard commentary, read commentaries, and I've heard preachers talk about this, that she is coming in the heat of the day when nobody else would come. And it's probably because of the reputation that she had that she would come when no one else would come. Maybe there was a stigma that was there. Maybe there was, there was a shame that was there. Maybe, maybe she didn't want to hear the, the snickering. And maybe, maybe she didn't want to hear the gossip of what people would talk about her because she didn't have it all together. She had been married five times and was living with the one that she was with. She wasn't even married to the one she was with. And here she comes with a vessel that's empty. Say it with me. A vessel that's empty. Here she comes and she's thirsty. Here she comes and she's longing. Here she comes and she's looking. And she comes to the well. And who does she find? The Lord Jesus Christ. And to make a long story short, she meets the Lord. And the Lord tells her, if you knew who you were talking to, if you knew who I am, you would ask of me and I would give you living water. I'd give you a water, a well, springing up into everlasting life. And she believed, oh hallelujah, she believes on the Savior at that moment. And the Bible says that she left Jesus there. She left and walked off and she missed something. She left her pot at the well. You say, why did she leave her pot? Because now she had the well. Say amen. She came thirsty, but she left fulfilled. She came longing and empty, but she left with something greater on the inside of her. She finally found what she's looking for. She had been looking for love and fulfillment in all the wrong places. But when she met the Lord, she left fulfilled. Somebody say amen. If you're ever going to find true fulfillment, 
If you're ever going to find true joy and true peace and true satisfaction, you got to be saved. You got to know him. You got to know him. Listen, number two. Number two. You say, preacher, I'm saved, but there's something missing. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's this. Do you know, after salvation, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm emphasizing this, after salvation, because you don't do to be saved. We don't have a works salvation. So how do I get saved? You place your faith in the blood of Christ. You place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But after that, after you're saved. Romans chapter 12 says this. I beseech ye therefore brethren. That's an important word. I beseech you therefore. Come on. I beseech you therefore. By the mercies of God. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Now if you know the, if you know the context and in, in, in understanding in, in, in that day. They understood that, that there were times they would bring, uh, before Jesus died on the cross, they would bring a sacrifice and, and they would kill that sacrifice and they'd lay it on the altar. In other words, that was the ultimate surrender. That was the ultimate. You die. And what he said, he said, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. God doesn't want you to die for him. God wants you to live for him. But God wants you to die to yourself. And what I'm saying here, whatever, this, this thing that might be missing is the fact you may be saved, but you're not surrendered. If you're going to find fulfillment in life, you must be saved. Number two, you must be surrendered. Say that word with me. You must be, come on, you must be, what does that mean? It means this, whatever, whenever, wherever. God, whatever you want out of my life, whatever you want out of me, I'm surrendered. I'm submitted. I'm not in charge anymore. I'm not in control anymore. I'm not the boss anymore. Lord, it's you. I've told this story several times, and it goes too good here not to tell it again. So if you're tired of this story, just ignore it. But, But you may be the one that needs it. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, about nine or ten years old, my father, my father had a special revival-type services called camp meeting. And there were services in the, in, in the evening, and there were services in the morning. They'd cook three meals a day. They'd eat breakfast and lunch and dinner. And, and, uh, and, and so, so here it is. My dad would let us skip school if we came to the church services. Are you all with me? Now, I wasn't necessarily interested in what the preachers had to say. I just wanted to get out of school. I know y'all are more spiritual than I am, but at 10 years old, I, you know, I had, I had other things on my mind. Y'all know what I'm saying? So here I am in this church service, and the preacher's up there. His name was Brother Bob Green. Brother Bob Green was a missionary to El Salvador for a long time. Then he, uh, he, he went to Mexico. He was there for a little while. He was preaching on missions and serving God and, 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 and giving God your life and, and going that way. And he's up there preaching. I mean, he's going after it. The guy's like 6'6", six, 6'3". Six, six, he's just a big monster of a guy, just a huge guy. And he's preaching. And all of a sudden, in the middle of his sermon, he shot out his arm and his hand, and he was pointing right at me. And I'm telling you, it looked like his finger was just right on the end of my nose. 
And this is what he said. I'll never forget it. He said, I want that boy to be a missionary. And I thought, no. Now, I grew up in church. I didn't see what missionaries had to go through. I didn't see where missionaries had to go. I've seen missionaries. Them people got to eat cockroaches and stuff. I don't want to be a missionary. I'm telling you, that moment, it scared me to death. And I'm thinking, no, no, point that thing somewhere else. I do not want to be a missionary. And boy, I mean, at that moment, a little fear took place in my heart. And there was just something that was gripping me. And later on in life, I, I surrendered to preach when I was 17. I wish I could say it was all spiritual, but I think, man, if I just surrendered, because I knew God was calling me to preach, and I knew, I knew he had a calling on my life. And I felt maybe, maybe if I would just surrender to this and, and let go, preacher, if I just said, Lord, if I, I'll, I'll preach. And if I said that, he wouldn't make me be a missionary. So I surrendered to preach, and there was, there was a, a, a sense of peace. You know, I, I, I got peace, and, and it was only, but there was still something nagging. There was still something missing. I, I, was, I was going to Bible college and all that kind of stuff, and, and I'm praying that through my years in Bible college, by the time I graduate, God will forget about me having to be a missionary. I don't want to be a missionary. And the whole time, year after year, there was something that just wasn't right. I was not fulfilled. I was serving like crazy. At the end of my, uh, my college day, my dad called me and said, I want you to be my assistant. I said, great. Now I don't have to go to Zimbabwe. I go to Florida. You know what? There was still something Missing. I was working for Jesus as hard as I could and serving Jesus as hard as I could, but there was something missing. So I go back. I go back to school, and there was a little church there in South Carolina by the school and, and Long Branch Baptist Church, and they called and said, we need a preacher. And I said, I need to preach. So we got together, and I took the church, and I'm thinking, well, Lord, if I'm preaching to this church, they need a preacher, then you won't make me go to Zimbabwe. And the whole time, three years. And boy, God was saving people. God was moving. It was incredible. But there was still something missing. I could never get, I could never get settled. My father told me, y'all know my dad. He, he's really old school. And he said, son, you never go to a church to use as a stepping stone to another church. Wherever God calls you, you go there to die. And I, I tried to do that. But the whole time I was there, there was just something. There was just something that wasn't right. There was something I just couldn't feel satisfied. And I finally got to the point, I was, I was tired of running from God. And I remember with tears in my eyes, I said, Lord, I can't take this no more. I'm tired of running. I don't care what you want me to do. I don't care where you want me to do it. I can't take this no more. And I resigned the church there at Long Branch. And I said, God, I don't care where it is. So I started making my own plan. I said, well, if he wants me to be a missionary, we got to go to language school. So I come home and told Tammy, we're going to language school. We're going to Costa Rica. She ran down the hallway crying, locked herself in the bathroom door and wouldn't let me in. Which that's a regular occurrence, so that's no, uh, I'm kidding. Dave, shh, don't, don't. 
About that time, Jeff Robertson called me. These kids up here singing, it's their uncle. He says, man, we, 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 this is here at Temple. He says, we're without a pastor, and we'd, we'd like for you to come. And it's too long of a story to explain how it all worked out, but we'd like for you to come and preach in view of a call. I said, no, nope, i got to be a missionary. Can't come. He said, I tell you what, can you at least come fill in for us? He said, I'll take you coon hunting. I said, I'll be there. That's God's my witness. That's exactly how it happened. My, my car, I had an old Ford Taurus and radiator went out in it. I had a 79 four-wheel drive. Uh, oh, and oh. The Friday before I was supposed to come out here, I was headed to work that morning, and it started making a noise. Chad, a good one. <clears throat> I got to work, and I went to a payphone. I didn't have a cell phone back then. And I went to a payphone, and I called my wife. I said, look, I'm fixing to head home, and if I'm not there in such and such a time, come looking for me. <clears throat> and I'm glad I did because I got about halfway home, and the motor fell out the bottom. <clears throat> and I'm so disgusted. I'm just aggravated, and Tammy's telling me, because she didn't want me to come out here anyway. And, and she said, well, just tell them you can't come. We don't even have a vehicle. This was Friday before that Sunday I was supposed to be here. I called Jeff and said, look, man, it's not going to work. I said, my car's tore up. My truck, it just blowed up. I'm borrowing a vehicle. And I think I borrowed it from Dolan Belisa. And I said, I can't come. I said, I don't have a vehicle. He said, well, rent one. We'll pay for it. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and my wife says, oh, man. So here we come. And you all know, the rest is history. And I was preaching here, and all of a sudden, God said, this is it. This is it. This is where I want you. Well, God, well, God I, thought, I, I, thought, I thought you wanted me to go to Zimbabwe. He said, no, 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 no. He said, I just wanted you to be willing. Now, imagine this. From 10 years old, to 22 or 23, however old I was when I came, all that time, God was just wanting me to say, here it is, Lord. And I was running, and I was doing for God. Guess what? You can serve God like crazy and still not be surrendered. God may not want you to go to Zimbabwe. God may want you to go to the choir. God may want you to serve in a ministry here. You say, preach, I'm just not fulfilled. I'm doing everything I know to do. I know I'm saved. There's no doubt about it. I know I'm saved without question. I know I'm saved, but something's missed. Let me ask you a question. Are you completely, totally, 100% surrendered to the will of God in your life? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Say, preacher, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of surrendered. I, I know I'm saved. Well, let me give you one more thing. One more thing. If we're ever going to find true fulfillment in life, we have to be saved. Number two, we have to be what? What I say? We have to be surrendered. No questions. We have to be surrendered. Number three. We have to be seeking. Say that word with me. We have to be seeking. Let me give you a verse. Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Now let me say this. It's so quiet right now. I know this is heavy. 
I know this. this. This point two is where probably most of the people are in this room are. The majority of people in here is probably most likely saved. You've been coming a while. You know Christ is your Savior. But that second point is tough. I know how tough it is. I, I, know, I know from 10 years old to 20-something years old, I know how tough that is. But I also know this, and this, I don't even know why I'm doing this, but somebody needs to hear this. I cannot explain to you the unbelievable peace that came over my life when I finally said, God, I quit. It's not me anymore. I don't care where, I don't care what, I don't care when. Lord, I can't take this no more. It's all you. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, total surrender to God is 1,000% necessary, but it's 1,000% worth it. Look around. Isn't this worth it? God couldn't do this. Till I said, I surrender. I wonder how much of this God wants to do in your life, but he can't because you won't let go. And all God's people see it. Surrender. Lastly, lastly, lastly. I don't know why I said that. God just wants me to say that. All right, here we go. Psalm 63, 1. Oh God, oh God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up mine hands in thy name. My soul shall be. My soul shall be. My soul shall be satisfied look what it says satisfied he says in verse number eight my soul followeth hard after thee what followeth after means this it means to pursue it means to chase it means to be basically this it means to be in hot pursuit and what the psalmist is saying i want you god i am seeking you god i want your face lord I'm not just after what you can provide with your hands. I'm after your presence, Lord. I'm not just after your stuff. I'm after you. I want you. Many people come to the house of God because of what they think they can get out of God. But we need to come to the house of God to be with the God of the house. One of the greatest illustrations of this is Ruth. Most of you know the story of Ruth. A couple weeks ago I preached on it. Ruth, in chapter number 2, is gleaning in the field. She is trying to survive. She's trying to survive. Are y'all with me? She's there gleaning scraps. She's there gleaning leftovers in the field of her kinsman redeemer. And thank God for the handfuls of purpose. Thank God for the things that we can find in the field. Thank God for those things that are there that will help us survive. But God has more in, listen, in our life than just survival. God has more for you than just survival. 
say, how does that happen? Well, if you'll move on to chapter number 3. In chapter number 2, she's working in the field. In chapter number 2, she's scrapping up the scrapes. She's doing everything she can. But in chapter number 3, she presents herself at the feet of her kinsman redeemer and submits herself and requests a more intimate relationship. She requests a closer walk with thee. She says, I don't want to be a beggar picking in the field. I want to be your wife. I want to be, listen, an intimate part of your life. And thank God Almighty, she left not just a picker in the field, not just a beggar trying to glean what's left over. She came the next time to the field as an owner and the wife of the owner of the field. Say amen. Listen, God wants a closer walk with you. God wants a more intimate relationship with you. God wants more than what you have right now. You can glean and you can beg and you can plead and you can do it with your own two hands all you want to, but you'll be in chapter 2 picking up the scraps. But God wants a relationship with you where he can take that veil and he can fill that veil up and lay it on you. I guarantee you this, you'll get more out of sitting at Jesus' feet than you'll ever do gleaning in the field all by yourself. Church, say amen. Amen. Isn't God good? Are you seeking him? Are you seeking him? There's so many people that ask, how, what are y'all doing over there at Temple? What are you doing? What's the secret? We're not doing anything. He's doing it. We just want to get in his presence. You know what the Bible says about the presence of the Lord? In his presence is fullness of. Do you know what that means? You know what that means? Fullness of joy. Man, you can't take no more. How many, how many of y'all know what it means to sit down at a table and get full? How many of y'all know what it means to not do? I've been on a diet three weeks. Let me tell you. God help us all. I know what it feels like to be a Cracker Barrel and you lick the porcelain off the plate. And you want something else. But I know what it feels like to go to a buffet. And get all you want to the point. Don't look like y'all ain't never done that, people. (laughs) To the point you just don't want no more. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've been so happy and so peaceful and so joyful that you couldn't stand no more? When's the last time you had to say, God, you got to back up some. I can't take it. <laughs> Woo! I can't handle no more joy. Or has your, your life been more like looking at the empty plate, wishing you had something else? I've come. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that ye might have life and have it more abundantly. Are you ready for more than enough? 
The psalmist said this, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not... That means I have just enough. I have just enough. But after you go through that valley of the shadow of death, you come out on the other side, he said, My cup... You see, there will be a time in your life where you'll have just enough. I shall not want. But God is not a just enough God. God is a running over. God is a more than enough. Are y'all with me? Which life do you want? Which life do you want? And all God's people say it. Our altar workers are coming. And I want every head bowed and every eye closed for just a second. I want to invite you to come today. If you're not saved, 